0: right? You can see me, Andrew. Okay. All right. So this is fun. This is different, right? I'm excited to be doing this. Um, If I look familiar, it's because I'm usually up here singing. I have a guitar uh, behind a microphone. I have the the safety of that stuff in front of me. Um, This is a little bit different for me. I would say I know most people are afraid to sing in front of other people. I am... um, we're comfortable with that because I know exactly what I'm supposed to say. Like I have the words right in front of me. I know exactly when to say them, how to say them. I know exactly when I've messed up. This is a little bit more um, left up in the open. So it's fun. I'm, I enjoy it. I'm excited to share with you this morning. Um, my name is Jordan. I'm married to Jacob. I have two little boys, uh, Jackson, who's eight. He stayed in here. gay. And Jace, who is four. And uh, we have been members of Providence since Providence started, so I guess about 10 years now, because we just celebrated our 10th birthday. Is that what we called it? But since I lead worship, I thought it would be appropriate for me to teach about worship today, Um, more specifically, not just worship as a whole, because there are so many things that are considered worship. We're going to take the Lord's Supper, that's worship. When you tithe, that's worship. When you are obedient to God, that's worship. But specifically, I wanted to zoom in on what corporate, the gathering of believers to sing songs together, what that looks like, what the function of that is, why we even do it. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. But um, because I don't get up here that often, I thought I'd give you a little bit of a background on me, who I am, why I do this. Um, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church It was very traditional when I was younger. Um, We had, like, an orchestra. We had a choir. That was the kind of music that we listened to that we sang together as a group. Um, In the 90s, they started incorporating some, like, praise teams where everybody had a microphone and was wearing, like, the matching button-down shirts, and, like, that was awesome. That was so great, right? And then I got to youth group, and our youth group had a band, and that was so cool. I was like, my youth group is the coolest youth group in the world because they had a band. It was amazing. They had drums. Ugh drums were so cool, right? So that's um, that was kind of like what I grew up in. And youth group for me was so much more than just, this is a cool place to go. It was a time in my life that God really grew me. Um, as a child, I, when I was five or six, I don't remember the exact age that I was, but I do remember the experience. I prayed a prayer where I asked Jesus into my heart. And I will go ahead and tell you that I truly believe that I was converted, that I was a believer at that moment, because it is not in the person who is receiving Christ's ability to understand absolutely everything about theology. It is the power of Jesus Christ's redeeming work on the cross and his resurrection that saves us. So I know that I, in the past, have had times where kids would get saved, and I'm like, well, they don't understand. They don't. You don't. We don't understand everything. We can't understand everything. But Jesus is powerful, and Jesus is the one that saves. So I was saved at a young age, five or six, fairly stagnant in my spiritual growth um, until I got to youth group. That's why it played such a big role in my life. Um, I had people around me that were teaching me about how all these things that I learned at church were applicable to my life. That Jesus was worth living for. And um, I saw that really kind of for the first time in my life in a lot of those youth leaders. And I will go ahead and say, I know for a fact that my parents taught me those things. I know they taught me those things. But it was for some reason, and, and working with youth over the years, I see this at play that you have blinders on when it comes to your parents sometimes. And that's why it's so important that we have people in our kids' lives, and just all around us in the church, that we are willing to pour into other people. Because as much as parents tend to pour in, kids don't always listen. So we have that responsibility as a church. And I know we talk about that every time we have like a baby dedication, but our responsibility as a church is to help one another to grow up into our faith. So during church, um, I would sing a solo here and there, usually on like a Sunday night service where there were not as many people, you know, it's not a few hundred, it's more like 25, 50 more people. Um, I ended up singing in the youth band my junior and senior year, and I loved that. It was such a great experience. It was neat just being in a band, first of all, but it was really neat being a part of something that was focused solely on leading others into learning about the Lord and worshiping him, and that that was so unique, and I just really enjoyed that um, opportunity. So much so that when I went to Carson Newman in 2004, yeah, 2004 I went to Carson Newman, um, I was lamenting the fact that I didn't have a band to be a part of, and I loved it. I just, I loved it so much, and I missed it, and I just happened to mention that I had sung, I had been part of a band, I wanted to be in a band, to a friend of mine that lived in the dorm, and of course, like, nothing's ever a coincidence, right? So I mentioned it to this girl whose boyfriend just so happens to be in a band, And they're looking for a singer. And I was like, oh, really? Okay. So like a week later, I find myself in this teeny tiny room in the Baker building, trying out for this band called Seed Company. And little did I know that two of the other guys in that room that almost 20 years later, I would still be friends with them. So if you can see, there's Tony Runyon in the back, Chris Hodge on the side wearing the the Jesus Christ shirt. (laughs) Looks like Coca-Cola. (laughs) Classic. Classic. So yeah, in case you were wondering, my hair has always been this big, so that's the case. But I loved that time with those guys, and over the four years that I was in the band, I, I mean, I started my freshman year through my senior year, and the band changed over time. We eventually went from leading worship at some churches to leading the worship at BCM on Wednesday nights, like on a regular basis. Um, people came in and out because people were graduating, but it was just really cool. Really enjoyed that um, opportunity to lead others into uh, seeking the Lord in that way after I graduated college I moved back home with my parents and I kept singing at my home church once a month something like that By this point they had added in uh, like the contemporary and traditional service they were split up so we did have a band I was singing with that Um, that's kind of my comfort zone as you can tell that's usually what we do um, then two years later, uh, Jacob and I got married and we moved to Dandridge and we were looking for a church. We were looking for a place to go, um, spent several months looking for a, a, a home and, um, or a home church. We had a home, but we were looking for a place to call home with other believers. And, uh, Tony and Chris were like, Hey, why don't you come sing one Sunday? I was like, Oh yeah, that's great. It was a great opportunity. I hadn't done that in several months. So I was excited to be a part of that. And of course they roped me into staying. So that was Lake Point at that point. And then when we became Providence, we became members, and um, we've been been here ever since. Um, Fast forward a few years, two babies later, uh, I worked for the church for just a few hours a week doing like discipleship stuff, doing some graphics. And then about a year and a half ago, um, Chris had to do like a month of service with the military, and somebody needed to fill in to do the worship leader part. I was like yeah I work here I can do that I've, I've kind of done it before I'm not excited about it but I can do it so planned services for about a month he came back and there was a lot more involved in that process than I realized so I was like Whew, good here <laughs> take it back this is great but then, shortly after that, the Lord called him to move on into other areas of ministry. And I'm, I'm so happy for him, so glad for that, that he had that opportunity. But um, there was a, an, empty, an empty spot to fill. And the elders uh, came up to me and asked if that was something that I would be interested in doing, because I had done it before. So I was like, I'll pray about it. I think about it. I don't know. Um, and I'll go ahead and tell you that the reason that I didn't know at that point is because I didn't feel qualified, um, I barely played guitar. I just sang. You know, I didn't like, I didn't lead the worship. I just sang. Um, I can read music, but I'll be honest, it's kind of like a kindergartner reads words that I just have to really do it slowly and take time. So I was like, I'm not qualified for this position. I can't do this. Um, but over the years that I've worked in ministry, I have told countless people the phrase God does not call the equipped, or doesn't always call the equipped, He equips the called. And I was like, oh, man, because I kept hearing that in my ears. I'm like, okay, I've told other people that. I guess I better live that out myself. So I, I accepted it. I said I would do it. And um, ultimately, I'm, I'm glad that I took it. I've really enjoyed it. This has been such a blessing to be able to be up here and lead worship and sing these songs with you guys on Sunday mornings. It's, it's been a huge blessing. Um, a little while after I took that position, <clears throat> Tony asked me, sorry, Tony asked me to create like a vision for the worship ministry, um, just to kind of lay out how we do things, why we do things, what is the theological basis for our worship. And uh, I never did that, but that's what this sermon is today. So I was like, you know, I can like do birds with one stone and and get the sermon and the the vision over with at the same time. So that's what this is, and then I'm going to type it up, and I'm going to have a vision for the worship ministry. So that works out. But Enough about me. Let's get into worship music. Let's talk about worship. Our verses that we're going to be in today are in Colossians 3. If you want to grab your Bibles, Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to back up a little bit from the verses that we're really spending time in. Start at verse 12. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. <clears throat> Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So I'll go ahead and tell you that I grew up Southern Baptist. I have an outline for today's message, and I have alliterations, and every point starts with the letter M because I couldn't help myself. It just made sense to do that. So the first thing that we're going to look, look at in this passage is the message, if you want to pull that up. Um, Carter's got his hands full today, because I gave him like 35 slides to get through, so give him a little bit grace, but he does a great job with these slides. I'm so thankful that he's doing this. Um, verse 16 out of that passage that we just read is where our focus is going to be this morning, so we'll read that again. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So the first section of that verse that we're going to look at is, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Um, We're going to break it down phrase by phrase for all of my M points. The first one is the message. The message of Christ should dwell among us richly. This is our goal. This is our focus when we come together on Sunday mornings, um, overall when we come together, but especially as we sing songs together. Our goal is to let the message of Christ dwell among us richly. Some of your translations, if you're... I don't remember what that one is, um, but some of your translations may use the word word instead of message, and the Greek word in the New Testament for word is logos and if you look it is all over the new testament the word logos or the word word is all over the new testament in some places it may even seem kind of confusing in john chapter one i don't think i have this on slides but john chapter one it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us that's talking about jesus jesus is referred to as the word so the word is important to us as a body of believers because not only is it, is it God's word in scriptures, God's word is Jesus himself. Jesus embodies the word. So when we come together, our focus, our goal is to let the message of Christ dwell among us richly or the word of Christ. Um, recently, I got Jackson uh, his own little Bible. He has a real Bible now because he can read. I got his name put on it. I was so excited. I think I was just as excited as he was. But one of the things that we would have discussions about the Bible, and I told him that the Bible is God's word. And he kept coming back to me and saying, so the Bible is the word of God, the words of God. God's word is the Bible. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it is. Like, that's kind of a confusing concept for a kid. But that's something, I I thought that was adorable that he, he kept wanting to come back to that. And that's something that we should remind ourselves all the time, that this is not just a book that we like or that we bring to church on Sundays or Keep on a shelf, heaven forbid. You know, it's something that should dwell in us and dwell among us. The word is what we are here for, and the word is what we do. It's what we go out and do the rest of the week. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. This is a famous passage that Jesus quotes, but this is known as the Shema. And um, Jewish believers have this memorized, and honestly, they have so much scripture (laughs) memorized. But this is one of those things that just naturally flows because they say it so often. But this is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand, and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. The word is supposed to be in us, on us, among us, all around us. We are people of the word. In synagogues, I don't know if this is the case for all synagogues, but in, in many of them, there is a place within their gathering space known as the Bema, and it is an elevated platform where the scriptures are read from, and oftentimes the scriptures are left there. Um, and it is not necessarily up at the front, kind of like we have a stage here. It's more towards the center of the room. People sit around it. And I, I love the um, visual of that because it shows that the Word is central, not just spiritually, but the Word is central physically. It's, it's a visual reminder that this is the whole reason that we are here is God's Word, the message of Christ. Um, so when we select songs on Sunday mornings, the most important thing about the songs that we choose is the message of the song. Um, Does it reflect the truth of God's word? So letting the message of Christ dwell among us richly is the goal, but what are the practical means of doing that? How do we do that? Um, What I find interesting is in that verse um, that we keep coming back to, Colossians 3.16, it's on our shirts. These are our our worship team shirts, but this this is our, our core verse of our worship ministry. But Paul says that we let the message of Christ dwell among us richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So that's how we let the message dwell among us richly. Um, it's, let's pause for a moment and just be amazed at the fact that God has given us something so beautiful as music to have in our lives, to have it in our, our worship services. Beauty is not something that is necessary. It's, it's not something that keeps us alive, really. But it's, it's a special gift from God, and it reflects to us how good he is. It reflects his goodness because of things like music. It, it didn't have to be there. It didn't have to be inspiring. Food doesn't have to taste good. Sunsets don't have to be beautiful, but they are. They're there for us because God loves us, and it reflects his goodness. It reflects his beauty as well. So in addition to beauty and inspiration, music serves some practical purposes too. So let's look at those. I'm going to keep reading this verse. So hopefully in the next 30 minutes you'll have it memorized too. That would be great. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. So that's the, the section we're going to focus on, as you teach and admonish one another. Um, this is what music does in our corporate worship as we gather. Um, these are our goals um, Everything from here on out. These are our goals for worship as Providence, and it answers the question why do we use music in our worship in the first place? Um, I know oftentimes people will come to a church either for the music or in spite of the music, and I want to show that music is an important part of our gathering together. So, the first thing, the first function that music has that we're going to talk about is that music teaches. Music teaches. The songs that we sing have just as much responsibility to teach us about the gospel of Jesus as the message that is preached from up here. The songs have just as much responsibility, um, and there's there's a reason that we use music for those sorts of things. Think about when you teach your kids the ABCs. What do you use? A song. You sing a song. You still probably remember it. I mean, I would assume that you would. I still have to go back to it when I'm, like, thinking about the order that letters are in. I'm like, you know, like, I have to, like, sing it to myself to figure out what the order is. So that's the reason that we use that song. It helps us to learn things, and it helps helps it to stick. Um, I know personally that I have learned a lot more about Alexander Hamilton because of a musical than I would have ever read on my own um, because it's it was really good. It's really catchy. I learned a lot. And because I liked the musical itself, I went back and I read the book that the musical was based on. There's a biography. And like that's a sermon point, right? Like because I liked the music, I went and I read the book. Come on, right? That's what our music should be doing on Sunday mornings. It should inspire us to go back to the Word of God and to see where these phrases and and, uh, lyrics come from, from the word of God. I remember making that connection for the first time, probably middle school, high school, when I would have, you know, memorized, learned some songs at church, and I would see them in scripture, and I'd be like, whoa, did you know that 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 was in here? Like, that's from here. Um, I remember specifically this happening with the third day song, King of Glory, and it starts off by saying, who is this King of Glory? And I'm, I'm pretty sure that it wasn't, like, in the middle of a sermon that I figured this out, it, like, because of what the preacher was saying. I think it was one of those, like, I'm bored. I'm not listening to the preacher kind of situation. So I'm just flipping through, you know. And I ran across Psalm chapter 24, and it says, Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. And I was like, that's from that Psalm. I like that song. And it was really cool to come across those. And I know that sounds silly. I should have been learning it from the word, but we use what we have. You know, we learn from songs. We're learning truth in that as well. And I know for a fact that I would never have probably known the scripture from Zephaniah chapter 3 if it weren't for the song Mighty to Save. Uh, The verse says, The Lord your God is with you. He is a mighty warrior who saves. in different translation, uh, he is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. In his love he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. If it hadn't been for that, if it hadn't been for the song, I, I would never have known that passage. I mean, chances are I would have read it at some point and glazed right over it, but music has that special ability to teach us things and to help us remember things. That's actually our next point. Not only does music teach, music teaches, music reminds. And I have a little clip that I want to play. Uh, let me set it up just in case you haven't seen this movie. It's from the Pixar movie Inside Out. I love that movie. It's, uh, the whole thing is about the inner workings of a mind of a preteen girl named Riley. And her emotions are personified as these little people like joy, fear, sadness, disgust, anger. Um, and in this scene that we're going to watch, Joy has gotten lost. She's trying to get back. And uh, she comes across these little guys that are clearing out space in Raleigh's memory. So that's where we are here. Phone numbers. We don't need all these. They're in her phone. Just forget it's all of that, please. Hi. Forget it. I need to look find look friendship. Island. Four years of piano lessons. Yeah, it looks pretty faded. You know what? Save chopsticks and heart and soul. Get rid of the rest. Aren't U.S. presidents. What do you think? Yeah, just keep Washington, Lincoln, and the fab one. Forget him. Hey, you can't throw those away. Those are perfectly good memories. The names of every cutie pie princess, though. Yes, that is critical information, Glitterstorm. Honey, pants. Forget them. <laughs> hey, bring those back. They're in the dump. Nothing comes back from the dump. Yeah, look, lady, this is our job. Okay? When Riley doesn't care about a memory, it fades. Fade? Happens to the best of them. Yeah, except for this bad boy. <laughs> this one will never fade. <laughs> gum commercial. You know, sometimes we send that one up to headquarters for no reason. She plays in Riley's head over and over again, like a million times. Let's watch it again. Triple mm-hmm. well, well, I know, we all know the song. Okay, yeah, real okay. What do you think? Should we do it? Yeah. <laughs> okay, here we go. What <laughs> <laughs> the? <laughs> this again? Triple uh, uh, Wait, <laughs> do you know how to get to Friendship <laughs> Island? Triple like it there did you feel any earthquakes is the bridge cool i love that because uh it's so relatable because you're trying to like recall this information like the presidents you're like washington lincoln and the fat one <laughs> that's all you can remember um but it, it just goes to show how powerful music is when something is set to music it's so much more likely to stick in your brain whether you want it to or not um I wasn't going to say this, but Jacob is really bad about this. He gets like three words of a song stuck in his head, and he will say those three words over and over, and I'm like, the rest of it goes like this. He's like, yeah, I don't care. I'm just going to keep saying it. Awesome. That's great. My life is fun. So it is. It is fun. Um, But if music has the ability to help us remember ridiculous things like commercial jingles or recall lyrics from a song, um, my boys have been listening to All Star by Smash Mouth, and... It just amazes me that I know every single word, and I haven't really, like, sat down and listened to that in probably 15 years. I'm like, how do I know this? Because it's in there. Like, music made it stick. Um, Music is sticky. It's catchy. It has this special ability that helps us remember things. So it goes hand-in-hand with learning. It teaches us, but it also helps remind us of things. Um, In addition to helping us remember, like, specific pieces of information, um, God commands his people to remember. In fact, there's over 250 instances in the Bible of God saying or commanding the word remember or do not forget, 250 instances of that. Um, usually those have to do with remember that you were in slavery in Egypt, remember the manna that I fed you, remember how I released you from slavery, remember this covenant, remember God's goodness. Um, all of those things, remember remember the Lord because We just forget. We have such um, weak minds that we forget the Lord. Um, He also tells several of his servants to build altars of remembrance. Um, He tells Jacob twice, I think, to do this. He tells Moses. He tells Joshua also, I think, twice to build uh, monuments or altars of remembrance, and they would stack stones to to build these altars. And there are lots of ways that we can do that in our lives. I know I've know of people that take that to heart, that want to make an altar of remembrance in their lives for something good that God has done, and they'll get a tattoo, they'll plant a tree, they'll create a painting, whatever. But I really feel like songs, even if we don't write them, even if they are just something that we sing over and over in that time, they're a great altar of remembrance. They're a great way or a thing, a tangible thing for us to come back to, to say, this, this helps me remember those times that God was so good. Um, and and singing them together is just that much more special. Um, That's one of the reasons that we occasionally play songs that we haven't played in a long time, um, or, you know, nobody's played in a long time, because it may remind us, or we may know that it's special to the church as a whole. This song reminds us of when God did this among us as a body of believers. That's why it's important to come back to those things. We come back to our altars of remembrance. So in addition to music, Teaching, music reminding, forget which, you know, words I used on these, but music also inspires. Music inspires. Um, another way of saying that is that music makes us feel something. Sorry, my mouth is going dry. Singing is a natural response when something good happens, when we're inspired or we feel strongly about something. We just saw two examples of this uh, at time in in, uh, Luke chapter 1 and 2, where Zachariah sings after John is born. His natural response is to sing. And Mary sings after Elizabeth's declaration of blessing from the Lord. We write songs about things that amaze us, that enthrall us, and what should capture our attention more, or, or capture our hearts and our attention more than the Lord himself. The creator of everything else that we could write songs about is what should capture our hearts the most. Isaiah 49, verse 13 says, Shout for joy, you heavens. Rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, you mountains. So, in addition to responding to something, sometimes we listen to music to make us feel something. Because we may not feel that way automatically, but we want to feel that way. Think about the types of songs that you might listen to when you're working out. You'll listen to fast songs, you'll listen to upbeat songs. You want lyrics that are going to push you, that make you run harder. Um, work harder, that sort of thing. That's the type of songs that you like make yourself listen to so that you feel like you want to work out. Although, I mean, I know some people listen to like True Crime and other podcasts and things like that, but that's the sort of thing that like really pushes you to work out. When you're hearing those things, it's making you feel that way. Um, Your study playlist is probably going to be a lot different from that. Um, I listen to the Piano Guys, for study playlist um, I love their stuff although they do take like modern songs and you can hear the melody and I start singing with it but that playlist is a lot different from my workout playlist um, a breakup playlist I think most of us have probably at some point had like a breakup anthem you know that we like play and listen to over and over um, my time of life that was since you've been gone by Kelly Clarkson and stronger by Christina Aguilera and Misery Business by Paramore. Like, those are just like, kind of things. But we listen to those songs because we want to feel that way, or we already feel that way, and we want to feel it even more. So music inspires us. It makes us feel something. Um, Love songs actually make up 65% of all recorded songs, if that tells you anything about the feeling that goes into music choice. Um, Just to kind of give you uh, an example on the flip side of this, Whenever there's a song written about something uninspiring, it's just silly. Like, you don't think it's, you don't take it seriously because it's uninspiring. My boys like to listen to, um, I know I've talked to several of you about this, Perry Grip and Big Block Sing Song, which you have kids, add those to your playlist. They are hilarious and so much fun. But uh, one of the songs that, like, popped up into my head when I was thinking about what kind of songs are uninspiring, and one of the songs was from Big Block Sing Song, and it's called Toes and it's about toes, and it's not inspiring, but it's hilarious. It just, it, it makes you think, okay, well, I'm not inspired by toes, but that's why that's funny. It goes, toes, you might have 10 if you have 11. That's impressive, my friend. Big toes, little toes, the ones in the middle, they're kind of like fingers, but they're hard to twiddle, so it's like, it's hilarious, but it's not inspiring. You're not going to, like, go home and, like, yes, toes, you know, that sort of thing. That's why it's funny, you know, because you only really write songs about things that are inspiring, like the Lord being inspiring to us. Um, so many times when we come to church, we're not inspired on Sunday mornings, and I know a lot of that has to do with um, situations in life. It has to do with uh, the fact that we have an enemy that does not want us to be inspired on Sunday mornings, um, You break up fights with your kids, you spill coffee, you woke up late. Whatever the situation is, you're not really inspired. And I know for me, oftentimes when I come into the service, um, whether I'm leading or whether I'm in the congregation, when we start playing those songs, it really flips a switch, and I'm able to not focus on those things, not focus on those insignificant things, because the lyrics, the, the song itself, the music itself, pushes our eyes upward. It reminds us of what we're here for, that we're not, we don't even need to care about some of the little things that have happened to us. Um, It inspires us to look beyond ourselves and up to the Lord. If there's anything that inspires singing, it's the Lord, and um, I'm going to read a big chunk, but not all, of Psalm 145, because I think this is a great example of the Lord inspiring our praise. I will exalt you, my God, the King, I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. I'll stop there, but you're welcome to continue to read on in that psalm for yourself. Our hearts are captivated by the Lord in worship. Our worship of him is just simply a response to what he has done and who he is. What we do is just a response because he is the one that acts. Um, I do, while we're talking about music making us feel things, kind of address one thing, is that we don't have music simply just to make us feel. Like we don't come to worship just to have like a spiritual high. We don't come to only feel something. We want to feel something and and be motivated to act on that. We want that feeling that we have to inspire us to change, to become more like him, to live out the truths within those songs. Um, if we do come and we have a spiritual high and we're no different when we leave this room, then that spiritual high feeling was absolutely meaningless. There was no real change in us. When we play songs on Sunday morning, our goal is not to manipulate emotions. We don't want to like try to make you feel something just to make you feel something. There will often be times in a song where It'll get, it'll get quieter or it'll get louder. The drums will get faster, whatever, when like a tempo changes and something like, the emotions kind of surge within the song. Our goal in that is not to manipulate your emotions. Our goal in that is to point your attention because it does capture your attention when the music changes like that. The whole point is to capture your attention to see what is the truth being conveyed in this song and the fact that we really want to emphasize that truth that this is very important within this song. So that's why we do that. Um, we do not want to manipulate emotions, but we do want to use them to point us to change, to, f- to further focus ourselves on the Lord. Um, along those lines, our hearts and our minds should actively be participating in our corporate worship. We use our brains to interpret truth and write theology while our hearts are being affected. I mentioned Zachariah and Mary having these um, like explosions of song after some great blessing from the Lord. And um, I, I just want to note that in both of those instances, they're not just talking about how they feel. They're not talking about how great this is. They're, they quote scripture over and over. Every single line of those songs is a scripture pointing back to the Lord. In fact, Mary quotes, I looked this up, um, 35 different scripture allusions in her Magnificat, 35, because several of those lines could be different verses as well, but I thought that was really cool. So when we come together in worship, we are feeling in order to be changed. We are using our hearts and our minds. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 15, it says, "'So what shall I understanding? I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding.'" So music teaches, music reminds, music inspires or makes us feel, and music unifies is our last function of music within this section. When we sing the same words and the same melody, when we're all singing together on Sunday mornings, we are living out in a small way the unity that Christ has called to, called us to as a body of believers. Um, it's a tangible unity, singing together, is a symbolic way that we're supposed to live our lives together as well. Um, picture it this way, we, how we come together when we sing the national anthem or when Tennessee football has finally won a game and we sing Rocky Top together. It unifies us, it draws us together, it brings us together as one and we have this special feeling of togetherness because of the music that's brought us together. And even on the flip side of that joy that we feel when we come together, um, that when perhaps the majority of people are mourning or suffering, going going through hard things together, when we sing together, it's a way of holding one another up, of lifting our neighbor's chin to see the Lord and say, remember how good he is. Even in the middle of this hard stuff, even in the middle of this suffering, remember how good he is. Your neighbor's singing, your singing could be a testimony to your neighbor. They could be going through a hard time. And if you are singing those words of truth, that could speak to them in a way that you could maybe never imagine. Um, When the angels sang, I keep coming back to Christmas because it was pretty recently, but when the angels sang and worshiped God as they announced the birth of Jesus to the shepherds, they brought a little bit of heaven to earth with them as they gave us a glimpse into what happens in heaven at the throne of God. Actually, one of the reasons that I love being up here and leading worship is that I get a bit of a glimpse into that as well. It reminds me of what we all get to participate in one day in the presence of the Lord, that we will come together and sing together all the time of his goodness. Um, Revelation chapter 7 speaks of this. This is verses 9 through 12. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. That's one of the reasons that I love being up here because I can see that playing out, this worshiping of God that is happening in heaven that we are joining into on Sunday mornings when we are singing together. It's so beautiful. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25 talks about us coming together. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. 1 Timothy four thirteen, Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and teaching. Martin Luther has a quote about uh, corporate worship that I loved. At home, in my own house... There is no warmth or vigor in me, but in the church, when the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart, and it breaks its way through. Think about what worship was like during the pandemic. I know for a few months, we just did live stream here, and we would pre-record it. Tony would do his sermon, which had to be super awkward to, like, preach to nobody. And we would do uh, the worship. Um, I think a couple times we sat on a couch up here and recorded it and everything. It was weird. It was awkward. Um, but most of all, it was incomplete because we weren't together. We were, we were missing everybody. Um, and not just because that's what we're used to, but because of what we're called to. Um, I'll be honest, if I was watching a service like live streaming, the music would probably be the first thing I would skip just because I'm not there with God's people And that's not to say that private worship isn't something powerful and important that we should be doing, but we really are missing out on a special gift from God when we do not have gathered worship with other believers. Corporate worship is vertically focused and horizontally experienced. It's something that we focus on the Lord together, but experience around us. Okay, so we had the message. We looked at the message. We looked at the method, and now we're looking at the means in this verse, Colossians 3. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. This list of psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, it's not a comprehensive list of all of the songs that we should sing when we get together, but it does represent the diversity of songs that we're supposed to have when we sing together. So, first, let's look at psalms. Uh, the word psalm literally means a poem set to stringed instruments. Reading through the psalms, you can see that they run the gamut of human emotion. Um, there's more psalms of lament than any other type of psalm um, in the Bible. I, uh, Tony gave me a book to read when I took this position called Rhythms of Grace by Mike Cosper. It's really good. I'm going to quote it a few times, but this is a specific quote about psalms and the range of emotion in the psalm says the range of Psalms is much broader than the kinds of expression we're used to in the church. We don't sing a whole lot of songs asking God to crush his enemies. There's a pretty big gap experientially between this sense of lament and the -the over-the-top happiness of much contemporary Christian music. It's not the joy is uncalled for. The Psalms have plenty of it, but in the Christian life, it is a journey with both peaks and valleys. We don't, sing psalms specifically when we come together but they do and should inspire our worship and it's something that we should be reading and using to write our songs and sing our songs when we come together the second thing is hymns for the most part here at providence we will do modern worship songs or modern praise songs whatever you want to call them but there is a reason that we keep hymns in our rotation Um, here's another quote from that book that i just mentioned that was really good singing the historic hymns of our faith reminds our congregations that we are not the first generation to have wrestled and prayed, asked, and believed. We are not the first to write hymns of praise to God. We walk gladly in the footsteps of our fathers who have written praises to Christ that have stood the test of time. Um, I mentioned a, a minute ago that singing together unifies us. Not only does singing together unify us. Singing hymns together unifies us with believers of the past. We are not the first ones to come through what we're going through, and we will not be the last. It's a way of unifying generations that are still here on earth and unifying those that have come before and have given their lives for the Lord as well. So it plays a big part in the unity. Uh, Other than style, one of the more noticeable differences of hymns and modern praise songs is how much of the lyrics are focused on suffering and death, a lot like the the Psalms are. Uh, Previous generations just seem to have a better grasp on the brevity of life. There was, and there still is, of course, hope in the hymns that we sing, but it's it's a realer hope. Um, Real hope isn't something that's light and frivolous and over-the-top joyful at times. Real hope is a tiny spark in the depths of our darkest night. It isn't always jubilant or ecstatic, but it's a lifeline when we have nothing else to hold on to. Hymns are the songs that we sing to our loved ones on their deathbeds. The last thing that he mentions is spiritual songs, and I'm just labeling these as new songs. Sing to the Lord a new song. It's a command that we hear over and over and over in the psalms themselves. Psalm 96.1, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Psalm 33, 1 through 3. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. We should continually be writing and playing new songs of praise because we should be continually in awe of him. He should never stop inspiring us. That's one reason that we continue to play new songs. Okay, so these, I'm going to get to some practical stuff. Probably things that you're like, Can you address this? That's what I'm I'm planning on doing now, okay? So how do we choose songs on Sunday mornings for corporate worship? Um, There are more than this, but I'm gonna go over four questions that we ask when we're choosing songs for Sunday morning. Does it convey the truth is the first one. And this is just talking about everything that I've mentioned before. Um, Does it convey God's truth? Is it true? Does it give us the real message of the Lord? And if it has a confusing line in it, often... Um, the worship leaders will kind of explain that before we get into that in the song. I know last week I explained one of the lines of the new song, The Dove, because I just want to make sure that the message is not being crowded out by something confusing. Um, That's something that we try to do on Sunday mornings is to clarify, okay, this is poetic, this is what this means sort of thing. Um, we always do attempt to align the songs to the message. It doesn't always work out. But the funny thing is, it seems to work out the best when we had no plan to align it with the sermon. And like Tony and, and Jacob mentioned when he came up here and preached that it just seemed to like go so perfectly. And that should show us that how little we really, what role we play in this. Like God is the one planning these services for us. He is the one that is putting these songs into action. Okay. Okay. So the first question, does it convey truth? Number two, very practical, can our band play it? It's really important that our band can play it. We don't want anything to be too complicated, too over-the-top, too much of a performance. We have incredibly talented musicians that play up on the stage on Sunday mornings, but they are 100% volunteers they have jobs, they have families, they have other responsibilities, and don't have countless hours in the week to practice. Although they do, they take any extra time that they have and they put into working on these songs. Um, I don't think that there has a week, is a week that has gone by that there hasn't been a Smith on the stage because they put so much work and effort into our worship ministry. I'm so thankful for that. Um, our, um, I don't know what you call them, our tech guys in the back. Put in lots of work that nobody sees. Um, but they work so hard. Actually, you know what? Can we take just a minute and say thank you to the band by clapping for them? Because they do so much. This wouldn't happen without all of those volunteers. And they teach me a lot, they hold me accountable. Like I said before, I don't know a whole lot of music. So when we come up here and we practice on Sunday mornings, it's really collaborative. I ask a lot of questions. We give a lot of opinions. How is this going to work together? Um, It's really fun, and it's a really neat way of working out the gospel in a real tangible way on the stage on Sunday mornings. Um, We don't want it to be a performance is one of the things. Um, We're not up here to entertain. That's not the purpose of worship on Sunday mornings. Um... If it's a little too complicated, it does become a performance. Um, we want to stay true to the heart of Matthew 6, where it says, Don't practice your ra- righteousness in front of others like the hypocrites do. Um, we're not here to perform. That's not what worship is ever about. And if we are, it is a distraction from why we should be up here. Um, Jacob told me I had to address this because he's like, you, you need to talk about this. This is awkward. Everybody wonders. Do we clap? After the songs, like, what do we do? Because Brooke's always out there like, yeah, we love Brooke for that. I'm so thankful for that. But everybody else is like, I don't know, do we? Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and tell you. Clapping is not for the band, okay? Clapping is not to say, yay, you did a great job. It's to say, I agree with what was sung. I stand with the truth of that message. That's what clapping is for, okay? So we can just all agree Before the sermon, clap after the songs, okay? If you don't want to, you don't have to. I'm not forcing you to do that. But if you're wondering what to do, clap after the songs before the sermon. After the sermon, we spend a lot of time in prayer. That wouldn't be quite as appropriate. But if the Spirit leads you to, do it. But before the sermon, if you want to clap after a song, clap after a song, okay? Are we good there? All right. So the third thing that we ask when we plan songs is can the congregation sing it? Because along the same lines of the band being able to play it, can the congregation sing it? Is it complicated? Like, are there lots of words flying everywhere? We're not singing the Hamilton album, you know? Like, that would be too much confusion, too many words flying around. Like, we can't do that. If the, the melody line goes too high or too low, um, if there's too many words, like, the congregation singing it is the whole point. We want to sing together. Um, we, we choose songs that are more simple, and easier to follow so that we can all sing it together. Um, This may be, if you've ever wondered, if you've ever thought and like kind of embarrassingly told people, I don't really like worship music. This is why, because worship songs are just simpler songs. You probably just like a more, more complicated song. That's what that is, just in case you were wondering and you felt guilty about it. Like they're meant to be simple. You don't have to like just listen to them We should learn them when we are together. We should sing them when we are together. But they need to be songs that we can sing. That's what's important. And the fourth thing that I ask is, do I like it? Preference does play a role in the songs that we choose on Sunday mornings. I will say that I don't always choose songs that I like. Sometimes I will choose songs that are appropriate for what we're learning about or I know that the church loves. Um, So preference is not the number one. That's why it's not number one on this list. But it is somewhat important. If you hate the song that we're singing, you're not going to worship, you know? Um, There are a couple songs that I just never schedule because even though they meet all the other criteria, they they speak the truth, they're simple enough, I just don't like them. And that's another reason that it's good to have other worship leaders scheduling and doing these songs because, you know, oftentimes when Brendan leads, he puts songs on there that I'm like, I forgot about that song that's really good or I know that he can just do it better and vice versa that sort of thing so preference is one of the reasons that we choose what we do I'll go ahead and tell you if you want to know some of my favorite worship bands I love Rend Collective I love Caroline Cobb we do a couple of her songs go look her up she's so good and like theologically rich Uh, and Brooke Fraser she's really good as well Um, here's one more quote from that book that I was telling you about about preference Worship is a matter of preference and deference. Sometimes I get to sing with my preferences, enjoying the songs, styles, and sounds of music that resonate with my cultural place. Other times I defer to others in my church family, joining my voice with their their choice of music. Grace makes that deference joyful. As I join my voice with the diverse community of faith around me, I also join my voice with saints from all the past 2,000 years. Together we sing and shout teach and admonish and experience the rich joy of god's indwelling word we sing with grace and we sing because of grace so that leads leads me to my last point going back to our verse let the message of christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms hymns and songs from the spirit what is our motivation singing to god with gratitude in our hearts when we worship it is an upward focus singing to God with gratitude in our hearts. What causes us to react in worship? We might think that it's because we are experiencing joy that causes us to worship. But more than anything else, it's thankfulness. That's what this verse is conveying to us, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. The opposite of thankfulness is entitlement. Entitlement tells us that we deserve the good things that we've been given. But gratitude reminds us that we have been given something that we could not do on our own. He has done all the work for us in bringing us to himself, and all we can do is respond. Our response is worshiping him in a state of thankfulness. Gratitude reminds us that we are incomplete on our own. Entitlement is a poison that eats away at our hearts. It's a cancer that spreads to our eyes and blinds us of the truth of what we have in Jesus Christ. When we realize that all we have and all we are Is not because of how hard we've worked or because of who we are, but because God has chosen us as the object of his love and blessing. Our hearts flow with thankfulness and praise. When our hearts are full of thankfulness, there's room for nothing else. We are recipients of the greatest gift imaginable. Gratitude is a choice. It is not a feeling. It's something we are called to be as believers in Christ. Remember I said earlier, worship is a response to God. because because he is the first to act. Our worship isn't the first act. He acts first, and we respond to him. When we see him for who he is, we cannot help but worship. I want to end our time together reading Psalm 100. That's just five verses, but it speaks to the truth of this. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for teaching us the truth of your word. I pray that we will continue to be taught as we worship, as we sing together. Thank you for bringing this body of believers together to see each other, point each other to you and your goodness. I pray that you would help captivate our hearts to see how wonderful you are. Help our worship to be focused on you. Help us not to think about ourselves, not to worry about ourselves, but help us to remember you in all that we do this morning, Lord. Bless our worship and help us to see you. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.